Hello and thank you for listening to episode 364 of 60MW. I'm Dave and this is another of our interview shows. And in this one, I get to spend a little bit of time with actor Richard Sutton, talking about his role as Sir James Ross in The Terror, a great series that uh, showed on BBC Two and is now available to buy on digital, DVD and Blu-ray. And I advise that you do, myself and Tina, as you'll hear when I have a chat with Richard, had a great time watching it. Uh, so sit back, relax, get comfortable and spend a little bit of time with me and Richard as we chat about The Terror. Richard, thank you so much for joining me today, and especially as we sit here on a Sunday afternoon as well at the weekend. So a double thank you for giving me a time at the weekend as well. You're welcome, Dave. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, I'm sat out on my balcony in between sort of snow and rain and then sunshine. <laughs> it's all four seasons this morning, so it's a good day for it. Oh, yeah, it's been crazy recently, hasn't it? Which, I mean, that ties in with... Um, with the terror, obviously we're here to talk about the terror, which I'll be completely honest with you. I only found out there was a second series the other day because this is series one was made back in, in 2018, which, of course, is before the terror that we've all been living through recently and uh, found there was another series as well. So, uh, yeah, I've got that to look forward to, which which is nice. But of course, the series one that you're in, uh, I'd love to know to begin with, how did you get involved with it, how you approached well, it seems so long ago now. It was. Yeah. It was. It must have been the autumn of 2017. Wow! It was. It was so long ago. Um, I, I just got a call from my agent saying that this fantastic script has come in, uh, and they'd like to see me for uh, for one of the roles. Originally, I was. They wanted to see me for the one of the ship's doctors. Mm-hmm. So I, I went along to a, an audition in Southwark. Uh, normally, actors like to dress up as the character that they're. they're they're playing they're going to audition for but as this one was set in uh, 18 in the 1840s I was, I was going through my wardrobe thinking what can I wear what have I got that looks 1840-ish and I didn't have much but I put a, a big naval pea coat on and I went in and I and I auditioned for the um for the casting director and a couple of weeks later he called and said uh, we're not going to offer the, the role you, you went for but there's another role if you if you fancy taking that and and that was it. Before we knew it, we were we were flying out to Budapest in Hungary to film it. And what was it like there in Budapest? Fantastic! It's one of my most favourite places to to visit. I, I visited there as a as a punter, as it were, yeah. and then I filmed there a couple of times. I did the uh, Titanic uh, back in 2012 mm-hmm. out there, um, and there's something else I, I, I did out there. It's beautiful. Such a beautiful place. Um, and the, the studios there are state of the art. They do so much out there. I think they do Three Musketeers, this TV show out there, uh, the Borgias, lot, lots of stuff gets, gets done in mm-hmm. Eastern Europe now. And in a way as well, it's it's good in one way, I guess, that you didn't get the character of one of the doctors with, without giving too much away. Your character has a more pleasant time than the doctors and, a, and not quite as grisly an end of some of the doctors there. But, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> you go on. Sorry, no, I was going to say your character, Sir James Ross. If you just like to tell the the listeners just a little bit about Sir James Ross. Yeah, I've, I've been very lucky in this in this respect in real life. Um, I was a sort of my character back in the eighteen forties was a bit of a major Tim Peake type character in that he was a, a bit of a celebrity. Uh, 
he joined the Navy age 12, if you can imagine that. Wow, uh, yeah. And he was, it was a real sort of celebrity and everybody loved him, a real darling of the Admiralty and the, and the Royal Navy. Um, and he was due to take a ship out to go and find the Northwest Passage in the Canadian Arctic. Uh, but he was recently married, so his wife says, you're not going out to do any more cold work, water, <laughs> cold water work. You're staying here with me. And so I stay in Blighty while these two ships go off to their... Um, unbeknownst to them, uh, the, the, the lost voyage um, of the 1840s. So I was quite lucky in that my character stayed safe and sound on terra firma, whilst my, my best mate, um, Francis Crozier, played by uh, Jared Harris, goes off and, uh, and those two ships get stuck in the ice. And so the whole series talks about what happens to the sailors and to the ships uh, whilst they're stuck in, in the ice in the Arctic for many years. And your character as well has, it's a really pivotal scene that finishes the series, which involves uh, Jared Harris as well, because we were watching it. And again, without giving too much away, uh, there's a big decision that, that needed to be made by Jared Har Harris's character and your part of this scene as well. And it, we were watching it, it was nail-biting. We thought, is, is he going to say yes to whatever's going on or is he going to say no so you know so james is a really big part of, of of tying everything up at the end isn't he yes i mean in, in terms of my screen time i'd play quite a, a minor role in in the whole proceedings of it but, it, but in real life it's you're absolutely right it it opens episode one uh, with the same scene as it finishes mm -hmm. uh, at episode 10 yeah. and the the intervening episodes uh, you know everything that happens and so you're absolutely right what seems like a a pretty standard opening scene is repeated in the last episode and, and it has so much more yeah. gravitas to it. So, so many, the stakes are so much higher. Um, there's something about the last episodes of things. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. I, I never watched the last episode <laughs> of any series. So Seinfeld, I haven't seen the last episode, uh, you know, Game of Thrones, Line of Duty, just because if you don't watch the last episode, then the series is, is still alive. If, if that makes yeah, sense true, yeah. in your head, you haven't finished it. So I, there's, a, I, there's billions of TV shows that I've loved, Breaking Bad, but that I've never seen the end of, The Sopranos. So they're all still alive. In, in my head <laughs> it's quite strange but it's it kind of makes sense to me <laughs> I think you've been in line of duty and a load of other programs too as well so even the ones that you're in are the ones that you if it's a series you don't know how it finished yes in this in this case because because i was in the, the last the, the opening scene and the last scene mm -hmm. I, I have actually obviously read the script of this one yeah. so I, I know what happens <laughs> but I, in a way i still haven't seen how, how they how they put it on the screen so it's it's still alive it was, i think when when the end of the world is is confirmed on on the news and we've got 24 hours to live i think <laughs> i'm just gonna sit down and watch the last episode of 27 different series yes. and just have everything tied up for me that's your final day taken care of already isn't it <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> pretty good me yeah well with, with the terror we watched it one thing that we took away from it and um you know we, we've watched a lot a lot of television a lot of films and we you know we love the macabre and the horror side of stuff as well and nothing you know we, we've seen it all over the years nothing scares us as such we were watching the terror and and it was so bizarre because the atmosphere of every episode 
it was it was palpable it was just something about every episode with the atmosphere in it and it must have been playing on both of our minds because tina would, would be talking in the morning and she'd say oh i had a really weird not so much nightmare but unsettling dream after we watched it and it was both of us it really had that effect on both of us did that come across when you were reading the script or you know when you were playing the part and you, the, the scenes were being filmed i think it did you know that, that you're absolutely right there is something you know the sets were all very dark the the, the director of photography and the, the cinematographer really really worked on that sort of dark gloomy very little daylight um wonderful everything's like candlelight and it really does have a sort of effect on you, you um in the script david um Kijanik, who, who wrote it and created it and, and ran the show even his stage directions within the script read like some sort of uh, dickensian novel it just <laughs> really talks about that sort of eerie tundra of the, of the arctic outside the tent and you're reading it think christ this is going to be amazing. Even on the, on the blank of the page, you can you can sense this eerie atmosphere. And of course, Dan Simmons, who wrote the the novel back in the nineties, it, it, it was really written that way as well. It's uh, it, it's all about atmosphere and, and detail, and I think that comes across all the way through yeah. through the show. It's, um, it's it's fantastically done, I think. And you, as an actor, Richard, what do you do? Have you got anything that you do to prepare for a specific role, or is it different for each part going in? Obviously, you've seen the script, you've read the script, you know what part that you're going to play. What do you do as an actor to to embody, like in this example, Sir James Ross? Uh, in in this example, because I was very aware that I, I was distanced from everybody else, both in in, in real life. I tried to keep away. <laughs> It sounds, sounds like a cop-out. I try to keep away from the other actors yeah. uh, because in real life I, I stayed in Blighty and then later on I, I, I conducted a search for the ships many years later, which I went out on my own uh, to try and find find my friends, my colleagues. So I, I stayed distanced from them in the filming of it as well. They were a very close-knit, all the other actors who were working together on the ship. Mm-hmm. Um they they went through a sort of naval boot camp for for a couple of weeks beforehand, oh, so wow. they were really really bonded with one another. Yeah, and and I would see them around. We filmed a lot in in Croatia as well, tiny island, and I would see them all together laughing, having a drink after work, and I and I tended to keep my my distance from them as well, just in in the off times, just because I I never did get to meet them in real life, so I sort of I kept my distance. Mm-hmm. In, in sort of in our real life, if that makes sense, yeah, yeah, as, as well. I tend to I tend to go towards the character physically first. I think that, that I tend to go from the outside in. Um, so that uh, Alec Guinness said, as soon as you get the walk right, then then the rest sort of follows. So I was a lot of my family were were in the navy in in my life. So I spoke to them a lot about uh, the customs, and I did a lot of research in in the have an officer in the Navy would have conducted himself and um, you know, the bearing he would have on his, on his colleagues. Mm-hmm. The costumes were fantastic. I had a full number one uniform tailored to me oh, where they wow. measured everything for each finger. My love to wear the, the medals were all historically correct. Um, they use real seal skin. 
on the uh, on the Arctic wear that I was put on. Even the underwear was was sort of period of its time. <laughs> that really helped in the in the creation of it. Do you take photographs of yourself? I mean, I would, and I'm sure most people listening to this, if you're whatever character you're playing in, be it TV or film, and you're in costume, you think, oh, I need to document this and take some photographs. Do you do that? Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Very often nowadays, you, um, an actor's up, we have to sign these NDAs where we're not even allowed to say um, what it is we're, we're filming, so you can't put anything on social media. Yeah. But I've got dozens and dozens of Polaroids and, and continuity <laughs> pictures that the, the crew have taken. And yeah, I think it's, it's fantastic. And, and in this one, I, I had, a, had to wear a hairpiece, a wig, which cost about £4,000. And, oh. and I'm, I've got short hair. If my hair gets any longer than sort of two inches, it just turns into sort of Jim Wilder, yeah. <laughs> sort of Rula Lenska from the 80s sort of oh, hairdo. Yeah. So, yeah. I, um, so I tend to keep it short. So my having to wear this wig was a real was a real treat to see what I look like with this long shoulder-length ginger hair, <laughs> which, uh, which I quite liked, actually. <laughs> it, it could inspire you. You, you might go full, yeah, full Rula Lenska. I'm, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm so glad we've got a Rula Lenska reference in here. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think about maybe three of your, uh, the listeners will know who Rula Lenska yeah, is. You can see people like eagerly Googling now her name. <laughs> yes. She'll yeah. be trending and nobody will know why. That's it. I mean, if it, if it leads to a resurgence in rock follies, I'm all for it. That'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> and how's how's things been for you of course you know i mentioned at the top you know everybody's been going through you've got real life terror since this this was filmed how's life been for you and obviously you know with the, the acting business and everything how's it been for you richard yeah it's, it's a strange one to be honest dave because obviously all actors are very very used to being out of work for a long time um we're, we're very used to um you go going periods without without earning any money. So in that in that respect, it's been it's been pretty pretty similar, really. Mm. Uh, it's it's changed in so much as in auditioning now, one would normally go in and meet the director and casting director and and have a chat through and and do the do the audition there. But nowadays, it's a lot more self taping. So I'll get a, a call from my agent; she'll send over a script, and then it will be me filming the whole audition on my own. Mm. Um, so in terms of that, and I think that's probably how it's going to be going forward. It seems to have worked for the industry. Uh, it means they can see a lot more actors for each role because they don't have to, you know, hire a, hire a room in Soho and have a finite amount of slots for actors to come in. Yeah. It means they can have dozens of, of um, so it's been adapted to that really, uh, creatively I've, I've felt a little sort of stifled. I've, I've not had a chance to go out and well, nobody has had the chance to go out to, to cinema or to the theatre. So I've really, really missed missed that in that respect. Um, but, but I've been trying to do creative things. I've started a little website called Once Upon a Quarantine, um, where I've just got actor chums to, to record short stories, film themselves, just recording um, um, short stories, and, and we put them all online. So Derek Jacobi, Simon Callow, um, uh, David Morrissey, Kim Cattrall. We've got some really good short stories. It's all free, and I've just put them on out there for uh, just as something creative to do, really. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I'll put I'll put the link to that in the notes for this show as well, if that's okay. That sounds great. Oh, brilliant. That would be wonderful, yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah, the more people that can visit that. So I'll be on it as soon as we finish. I'll be having a look and a listen, that's <laughs> good. for sure. <laughs> good. Yeah, have a watch. There's some, some really good There's a couple of spooky MR James, uh, if, if you like your macabre. Oh, yeah, I love MR James. Um, oh, great. Yeah, there's some great stuff. And uh, an act, a great actor called Andy Nyman does uh, a beautiful uh, a beautiful story for you. So have a, have a, have a look. Will do, definitely. Well, Richard, again, thank you for joining me. For the sake of the edit, we will say goodbye. Uh, if anybody listening to this hasn't watched The Terror yet, please watch it. It's got a great Blu-ray release now. And, uh, yeah, just just be prepared that it might just give you a few nights disturbed sleep if it's anything <laughs> that it did to me and Tina, that's for sure. But thank you, yeah. Richard, and all the very best going forward, and I look forward to seeing a lot more of you on my screen here at home. Absolute pleasure, Dave. Thanks for the chat. All right. Thanks, Richard. And the alarm bell, as always, brings to an end another interview show. It was so good of Richard to join me on a Sunday, a Sunday afternoon. It was uh, an interview I had to pop back a couple of times, actually. I'd been suffering with a bad throat infection, among other things, so it was great that he took some time out of his weekend to have a little bit of a chat with me all about the terror and about Once Upon a Quarantine. That was good. I have, at the time of recording this outro to the show, had a look at the website it's very, very good. You can have a good time. Please visit it. The notes are in the uh, podcast notes for this show. So go and visit that too. While you're online, visit our website, of course, 6dmw.co.uk. Everything is on there. All the different format shows that we do, news, reviews, ways to leave us uh, a review for our show, joining on the world tour. Lots and lots for you to uh, read and listen to and watch as well. And that's it for this show. And until next time, thank you for listening. And we'll be back very soon.